This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, October 9th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a federal grant to help prepare skilled workers for biomanufacturing jobs across the state. Uh, we're, we're constantly fighting the situation where we have this monochrome kind of economy here around retail, uh, and there's more and more effort on the economic development front to actually diversify our economy across the state of Arkansas and here in northwest Arkansas. Plus, capturing Arkansas sound. Team Commander, Command Post, what unit are you talking about, sir? Let's don't talk about that. Feature traffic, please. Say, let's don't talk about that. And in my state, I have not seen them out working for programs to help Poor mothers. We take another track through the archives of the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. But first, this hour's news from NPR. Carmelita's Modern Mexican Cuisine is located at 7022 West Sunset Avenue in Springdale, serving authentic Northern Mexican and Southern Californian-style lunch from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. and Modern Mexican dinner 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Friday. More information at carmelitasnwa.com. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season with Haunted Harmonies, a Halloween concert October 28th at Walton Arts Center. Performing under the baton of guest conductor Lawrence Lowe, symphony musicians will play iconic selections from popular movies like Jaws, Bride of Frankenstein, Harry Potter, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and more. Tickets at sonamusic.org. The momentary in downtown Bentonville invites guests to discover the region's new home for art, food, and music. From immersive performances and exhibitions to live concerts, unique food and drinks, and more, there's always something new to experience at Northwest Arkansas's Creative Hub. Details at themomentary.org. This is Ozarks at Large. From Monday, October 9th, 2023, I'm Kyle Kellum. I'm Matthew Moore. The University of Arkansas is celebrating the 19th annual Indigenous Peoples Day with an open mic event, a commemoration walk, and a proclamation read by Fayetteville Mayor Lionel Jordan. Today's observation is co-hosted by the University of Arkansas's Multicultural Center, Native American Student Association. The U.S. Department of Commerce's Economic Development Administration recently announced 11 recipients of their 2023 STEM Talent Challenge. One of those 11 winners was the University of Arkansas, who presented a project to develop and implement a biomanufacturing workforce training program. Matthew spoke to Toby Teeter and Tara Dreyer the co-pilots of the new program. Toby says the EDA announced this project in the spring, so the window was pretty small to submit. And what we were working on at the time is we were touring other facilities across the United States, uh, including Texas A&M, where they are uh, advancing biomanufacturing uh, through workforce development. Essentially, there's a new field uh, where you can take, you know, basically, the abstract human cells, manipulate them and put them back into a human. Um, and this is really a, a manufacturing process that is emerging. And there's a lot of fast, high growth companies uh, in this space uh, uh, throughout Europe and parts of North America. And there is a venture capital firm here based in Bentonville that is making some investments in that space. Uh, and it's our hopes to actually attract uh, contract biomanufacturing companies to Arkansas. Uh, and we have some initial commitments. However, we need to build the workforce for this brand new industry. So we see this as a, as a seed opportunity to begin that process. 
let's explain just a little bit of like what does the education process look like? Are we looking at something similar to like a technical school, kind of more in the world of like a community college sort of program? And and how is University of Arkansas's relationship in like working in? I mean, obviously they have the infrastructure and knowledge of how to put together education and curriculum elements. Like, how do those two work together? The goal is to allow anybody that has an interest in this to be able to come in the pro into the program and be successful. So really you don't need any skills before coming into this program. It's a short-term training program. And then the ultimate goal would be to create other educational and career pathways for people that take the short-term training and can hopefully stack it into other programs along the way. You know, Tara leads an effort within University of Arkansas uh, around workforce development. This is not new to the university. Uh, there is a team of uh, curriculum designers that make short-form, non-credit education in cooperation with employers. Uh, so this has been a long-standing leg at the University of Arkansas. What's happening, though, is with all this new federal dollars trying to catalyze innovation and doing deep STEM workforce training, it's really the opportunity to take federal dollars and deploy that here at the state of Arkansas and bring along our, our workforce into this emerging fields, including biomanufacturing. So obviously an element of this is the educational element of it, making sure that the the infrastructure is there in that place, but there's also has to be a recruitment element to this too, right? How are you informing folks who may not even know that this is something they could be interested in? How are you making sure that you're finding and recruiting people who are eligible for this and may not even know that they're interested in doing this until they get into it? Yeah, so similar to what we've done with other workforce development programs, um, we will launch an online social media campaign when the curriculum is ready to be launched um, so that we're able to reach all corners of the state of Arkansas. The other thing that we're doing is we do have a commitment from the Office of Skills Development in the state of Arkansas to help spread the word across the state to various individuals that are looking to upskill, reskill, or retool and get into the workforce. Right. So, you know, we should it should be known that this is part of probably why this is an online and a hybrid sort of education program is that this is not just a Northwest Arkansas thing. This is really seeking out people from all across the state to participate, to build skills and to find jobs very quickly in this world. Right. Exactly. You know, I remember when I was in college 10 or 15 years ago that there was this idea that there are kids being born now who are going to have jobs that didn't exist then. I feel like that timeline is getting smaller and smaller with every passing year that, you know, we're creating jobs now that we didn't know existed, what, a year ago at this point? So it's really fascinating to see how this growth is happening. Um, how do you how do you anticipate this sort of work looking five years from now? Well, we're here in Bentonville, and this is just a test case for so many other things happening just to here in Bentonville. There, the pace of change, the people that are assembling in this town and across Northwest Arkansas, the emerging fields, including AI and biomanufacturing, you're correct. Northwest Arkansas is becoming kind of bleeding edge in technology, and more and more, more people are coming here and bringing kind of tomorrow with them. Uh, so, yes, it's a huge opportunity. Uh, you're absolutely correct. There, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to create curriculum. And this is actually a new form of education. And this is 
This, this is happening across uh, sectors. The, the idea of micro-credentialing and badging, uh, where it, it runs the gamut from credentialing um, this bleeding edge kind of forward, even before formal education or at least credit uh, degree programming it even exists. There's an opportunity to create credentialing around uh, these experiences and creating this short form non-credit education to quickly you know, get people into this emerging workforce. Do you imagine you'll see a group of folks who are not your traditional students, who are the kind of folks who maybe didn't excel in a traditional classroom, but find interest in this sort of stuff or are kind of geared more towards this sort of world that this non-traditional style of education will really benefit a new group of people? Yeah, there's a lot of great jobs and career pathways out there for individuals who don't want to go that traditional route. Um, And I think that in the future, people are going to be able to present a portfolio of educational experiences and a lot of those could be short-term training programs that they can show and demonstrate their ability to perform in a particular industry. As we kind of zoom out a little bit and we look at like the economic impact that something like this will have on the state of Arkansas as a whole, we're very early in the beginnings process of this program, but what do you think, you know, on a large scale, the economic impact will be here and even bringing in people from other states to say, I want to go to Arkansas because they have this sort of program? Well, there's a whole list of emerging fields that don't yet even exist in the state of Arkansas. Uh, Just like you said, um, a lot of the fastest growing positions uh, uh, that are happening are are underrepresented here in Northwest Arkansas and across the state. Uh, These are examples where we're diversifying our employment base and creating new opportunities for people from Arkansas or to relocate to Arkansas. Uh, This lifts a lot of boats outside of deep med tech. The reality is, is when existing employers are recruiting talent in Northwest Arkansas and beyond, uh, you have situations where a Walmart executive might have a uh, a spouse uh, that has a master's in biochemistry. Uh, we're, we're constantly fighting the situation where we have this monochrome kind of economy here around retail, uh, and there's more and more effort uh, on the economic development front to actually diversify our economy across the state of Arkansas and here in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, so these kind of wins are important to establish a broader base and it allows more opportunity for our children or grandchildren uh, and our spouses uh, as we recruit talent to Northwest Arkansas. And you're right, like so many of these positions have, have don't even exist, haven't existed for more than a few years. And uh, it's really important for the state to really uh, understand that so many of these kind of STEM, these deep STEM positions are, are the future. These are efforts where the University of Arkansas is really stretching to attract federal dollars to this market and build out new programming uh, and new pathways for these new fields. Talent attraction and retention is key to growing our economy. And a four-year degree program is not for everybody. And, And this is an opportunity for someone coming out of high school or a community college setting where in just a few weeks, they can get this micro credential uh, that will get them into a lab coat working uh, in a clinical setting and, uh, and, uh, and making 
upwards of fifty dollars to $60,000 a year. Toby Teeter and Tara Dreyer are the leaders of a new STEM workforce training program with the University of Arkansas. I spoke with them over Zoom last month. And still to come on today's show, more sounds of Arkansas history, including a frightening day in Damascus, Arkansas, more than 40 years ago. Uh, Lieutenant, since the explosion, uh, I know I breathed a hell of a lot of it because I could, uh, you know, smell it and breathe it, and uh, it was burning my lungs, so I know we got a lot on the initial explosion. Archives from the Pryor Center in about five minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. Heart Island is America's largest public cemetery, and it's where bodies in New York go when they're unclaimed or unidentifiable. Neil Harris was last seen in Inwood, New York on December 12th. So many questions, man. So many questions. I never went back and... I never looked for him again. Radio Diaries untangles the mysteries of Heart Island on the next All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered begins today at 3 on KUAF. A Benville company is among five businesses in Arkansas receiving the Governor's Award for Excellence in Global Trade. Progressive Trail Design was presented the award Friday. It was created in 2009 to recognize Arkansas businesses for excellence in selling products in international markets. Progressive Trail Design has conceptualized and built trails across the country as well as overseas. Downtown Fayetteville Coalition will use a grant from the Tyson Family Foundation to start a strategic planning process. The group Public Sphere Projects will lead the plan that will include discussions exploring topics like downtown retail health, public space use, and marketing. Work on the project will begin this fall, and the strategic plan will be presented in early 2024. It will also be available on downtownfay.com. Friday, Lisa Academy in Fayetteville hosted its official grand opening at the new location on Van Ash Drive. The kindergarten through fifth grade elementary school is the third Northwest Arkansas location for the Little Rock-based charter school system, which currently has 239 students. Samantha Hamilton is the school's principal. Lisa Academy is a charter school among the entire state of Arkansas. The uh, Fayetteville campus is the 11th campus, and this is our official grand opening where we get to recognize and thank all the people who had a big part in it. I think um, Lisa Academy does a really good job of trying to look for areas that could use a little bit of school choice. The schools are outstanding up here. Um, Also an area that um, has an increased population where people can spread out a little bit. Some people want their kids to be in a big school. Some don't prefer that, but we have the opportunities of a big school, just a small school feel. She says the school can hold up to 600 students. LISA, which is an abbreviation for Little Scholars of Arkansas, is a tuition-free public charter school, and students from anywhere in Arkansas are able to apply. So you just have to have an Arkansas address, a proof of residency, and they can come. Most of our students are from the area, the real close local. We have some from Elkins, some from um, Springdale, but most of them are Fayetteville. Akshara Satish is a fifth grade student and one of the event speakers. She says math is her favorite subject. I want to become a geologist, and I think math and science is the main things for that. It's a STEM school, so it's science, technology, engineering, and math, and I think that will help me in my future. Lisa Academy has plans to expand their Fayetteville campus to include 6th through 12th grade classes by 2027. The Center for Poultry Excellence at the University of Arkansas will host researchers from around the world this month for the International Avian Influenza Summit. Organizers say the two-day summit is designed to foster cooperation and global strategies to mitigate the impact of avian flu on public health, food security, and economic stability around the world. Researchers from Asia, Africa, South America, and North America are scheduled to speak October 16th and 17th. 
Attendees will also be participating online. A nonprofit is awarding just under $6 million in grants to help boost adolescent mental health. The Blue and You Foundation for a Healthier Arkansas is awarding the grants to four organizations, including the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences and the Arkansas Chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Curtis Barnett is president and CEO of Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield, which is affiliated with the Blue and You Foundation. Undetected and untreated behavioral health conditions early in life, such as anxiety, depression, and issues related to childhood trauma can lead to significant health problems as people age. In Arkansas, the need for childhood behavioral health care is greater than across the nation. 65.7% of Arkansas adolescents who report needing behavioral health care do not receive treatment, which is higher than the national average. Among the grant recipients is the Wolf Street Foundation, a Little Rock-based nonprofit offering addiction recovery services. Executive Director Justin Buck says their share of the funding will go toward new after-school and summer programs geared towards youth and adolescents. When families reach out to the Wolf Street Foundation looking for a place for their kids to get treatment for substance use disorder, the best place they can go is jail. And that's a shame. So we're so grateful for an accessible clinical treatment program coming to address those issues with kids. And we're proud to unite the clinic and the community to create a whole person solution for those kids and families looking for recovery. Grant funding will also go to the nonprofit Immerse Arkansas to improve behavioral health services for young adults in foster care or who are experiencing homelessness or are victims of trafficking. The Arkansas Razorback women's golf team, now ranked number one in the country, opens play at the Jackson T. Stevens Cup in Texas today. All seven of the top seven-ranked teams in the latest Golf Week poll are participating in the event. All three days of play will be carried nationally on the Golf Channel. The sixth-ranked Arkansas soccer team's six-match winning streak is over. The Razorbacks lost at Auburn last night 2-1. Arkansas will host Florida Thursday night. 13 is the lucky number for the Razorback volleyball team. The 13th-ranked Arkansas team defeated Missouri yesterday for the team's 13th consecutive win. It's the first 13-match winning streak for the program in more than 13 years. <laughs> more than 20, actually. Up next is Mississippi, Friday night in Barnhill Arena. And the University of Arkansas Symphony Orchestra performing tonight in the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the U of A campus. The main piece, Ballade, will feature graduate student Sierra Hoagland on flute. Concert is free, open to the public, scheduled to begin at 7.30. Uh, since the explosion, uh, I know I breathed a hell of a lot of it because I could... Uh, you know, smell it and breathe it, and uh, it was burning my lungs, so I know we got a lot on the initial explosion. This is Security 10. Uh, those people were evacuated. I have that vehicle with me. We used it to escort uh, Sergeant Green and Sergeant Roberts to the hospital in Conway. That's where we're at now. Okay, can you give me condition? This is Ozarks at Large. It's Monday. It's time to go through Arkansas Archives with Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center. Randy, what did we just hear? Wow. That was a frightening, frightening bit of radio traffic from uh, September 19th of 1980. And I guess you could say it was... The day Arkansas was almost blown off the map. All right. We're going to get back into that. Let me just explain again. Uh, This is our second Monday 
For the expanded coverage of Ozarks at Large, we're still on, of course, in northwest Arkansas, eastern Oklahoma, southern Missouri, and the Arkansas River Valley. But And hello, central Arkansas. That's right. Glad in, to be here. In My case, old stomping grounds. That's right. In case you're new to this program, every Monday, Randy Dixon, who is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History, finds archives in that uh, collection. From KATV, the ABC affiliate in Little Rock. And we share that. Usually we concentrate on one event or one person or one topic. But last week and then again this week is a celebration of expanding our coverage into Central Arkansas. We're doing our greatest hits, and it includes what we've just heard. Well, and it's kind of close to me because I was there that night. Mm. I was a at KATV uh, at KATV and <laughs> there at Damascus. It was Damascus, Arkansas. Um, I was a new photographer at KATV, and we got a report that there was a uh, ga- a fuel leak at a an underground missile silo near Conway in mm-hmm. Damascus, Arkansas. And this was a, a Titan II ICBM uh, intercontinental ballistic missile with a nine megaton warhead on top of it. And it was originally a fuel leak. Uh, one of the airmen that was doing maintenance had dropped a wrench that had bounced down the silo and pierced the side of the missile and caused the liquid and gaseous fuel to leak. I was a photographer. Frank Thomas was a reporter, and we both went up there uh, in the evening. And I think it was reported about 8.30, and we were there um, after that and shot some pictures and we were relieved by another crew, and we came back to edit uh, Good Morning America. ABC in New York had requested a story for the morning, so we were working on that. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, this was probably 2 o'clock in the morning. We didn't have cell phones, two-way radio. Uh, we hear from the reporter, Randy Weber, that it, it has blown up. So uh, we know, obviously, the story has changed right. uh, considerably, and we begin uh, our 24-hour wall-to-wall coverage, and it went on for days. It became a huge national story. Actually, I believe it was the first time CNN was live constantly from a location. But we ended up uh, the next week secretly receiving from a scanner person uh, recordings of the radio traffic from that night. So uh, this is from the KATV archives. Um, And keep in mind, when this thing blew up, they have these uh, 740-ton doors that protect the silo Mm -hmm. well it's protected from something coming in not going out so it blew the doors off right and blew the warhead out into a ditch um you know fortunately it it didn't uh detonate or it would have been bad it would have been real bad 
Um, so let's listen to a little of this radio traffic. Roger, on scene commander. The team uh, went to the unit. They uh, Now they're on their way out to give a, a full report. Team commander, command post. What unit are you talking about, sir? Let's don't talk about that. Feature traffic, please. Say, let's don't talk about that. That's a Roger, sir. I wish I had a, something secure, but right now uh, our people tell us that uh, a forklift can go in and, uh, and do its job and return and without any difficulty. And that's the EOD people talking. And uh, the, uh, it's laying in a ditch beside, you know, it's, it's not even up close. It blew it out and it's laying in the ditch. It's all exposed. I'd recommend we wait for those people that are going to arrive in about an hour. Fine with me. Do you have any further status reports on that five-man team, sir? They're back here. They've, they've uh, debriefed us, and we're just now standing by. And uh, they've located uh, what they want to locate. And uh, right now, uh, where it's laying out there, we're just concerned about the airplane flying over taking pictures. Uh, should we go cover it with a tarp? It's chilling to hear that some 42 years late, 43 years later. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Uh, but just to give you an idea of how strong this warhead was, if it had gone off, it was at the time the most powerful uh, weapon in the U.S. arsenal. And that one bomb had the explosive force of every bomb that was dropped in World War II, including the atomic bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, should we okay. move on? <laughs> <laughs> what do you follow that, was, that up with, that Mr. Dixon? That was a little heavy. Um, well, let's talk about the beauty of the natural state. Which there's, is still here. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little segue for yes. you. Um, let's go way back into the 50s. Uh, every year, the Arkansas Highway Department would produce a half-hour film. Last week, we talked about these... Little documentaries yeah. about politicians. This is a little documentary about the state and how great it is. And what the highway department would do is they would highlight just about every county, almost all 75 counties in the state, but to also take the opportunity to talk about the wonderful improvements that have been made to the state's roads and highways and interstates. So... Um, Let's just listen to a little bit, and boy, it's got that 50 sound mm -hmm. to it, but a little bit of the uh, travel log, if you will, from 1955. Here is a happy family starting off on a weekend. Mom likes historic buildings. Dad wants to fish. Sis loves dude ranches. Brother wants to explore a cave. Despite the variety of notions, there are no tears or shattered hopes in this party. They'll all get their wish because this is Arkansas. 10,000 miles of roads in the Arkansas highway system poke macadam fingers into some of the most varied and primitively beautiful scenery in America. All right, that's from 1955, and that's an example of some of the stuff you can yeah. find in there. What, what the Pryor Center also does is conduct long-form interviews with figures in Arkansas history. Right, some famous, some not so right. famous. Uh David and Barbara Pryor always believed that 
Arkansans are full of wonderful stories about the state and that the Pryor Center should uh, showcase and emphasize and uh, record and save all of those stories. So we record as many interviews as possible. We do the, the audio versions, but we also do video versions. So here's an example of um, how on one of our programs, we integrated both the past and the present. And let's use an example, Dr. Okay. Joycelyn Elders, you know, the former Surgeon General of the U.S. under President Clinton. Um, and so this is from the KATV archives when Dr. Um, Elders was the focus, you know, of the Senate committee right. hearings uh, to confirm her as Surgeon General. And here she is answering a question from Republican Senator uh, Dan Coates of Indiana regarding her attitude towards anti-abortionists in Arkansas. In Arkansas, you know, I don't know what they do in your state, but what they do is they fight against health education. They fight against welfare. They fight against Medicaid. And, and but they you know, always want to have you know, the children born, but they do not want to support children after they're here. And, you know, that was probably where the love affair with the fetus may have come in, because I looked on it as an affair. You know, that's a short-term commitment. Whereas with children, that's forever. That's a very long-term commitment. And in my state, I have not seen them out working for programs to help Poor mothers, and if we had a society where everybody was provided health care, a decent place to live, an adequate education, then, Senator, we would be taking care of all people. But in Arkansas, in my state, I don't see these kinds of commitments. And as we've mentioned, Prior Center also does long-form interviews, sometimes, you know, decades after a person has first achieved uh, fame. Right. And we use them decades after we right. record them because they're saved forever. And you can find them on our website uh, under Arkansas Memories. But this is an interview. Uh, Dr. Elder sat down with us in 2008. And uh, she talks about um, mankind's uh, biggest health problem. I still think the major health problem that we have really even as far as the world is concerned, is related to ignorance. It's education, education, education. And we've got to educate people and teach them how to take care of themselves and how to be healthy. Right, that's Dr. Elders talking in 2008 to uh, the Pryor Center. Yes. So did you know that Bear Bryant, the one of the winningest coaches in football history, synonymous with Alabama. Alabama, yep. But... Um, He's from Fordyce, mm -hmm. actually Morrow Bottom, <laughs> which I guess could be a suburb yes. of, of Fordyce. But he almost came to Arkansas as head coach. And I just found that fascinating. He just sort of matter-of-factly uh, talked about it in a 1971 interview with Bud Campbell and KTV. But in 19... 50, I believe, or the dog, I don't know, 1951 or two, 
I had verbally accepted the job at the University of Arkansas and honestly meant to go. I had no idea that uh, Kentucky would refuse to let me go. And when I went back, we stayed in session with the committee and the board all day until after midnight. And uh, John Barnhill was on his way, I think, to Louisville to meet me the next day. And then when they just wouldn't release me, and then a lot of people in Arkansas thought I was using that for a prize or something. I had no intention of coming, but I, I, I really meant to come. I had already talked to my staff about it and uh, told them it was coming. And uh, everybody thought I got a raise in Kentucky, but not coming, but that's not true. <laughs> All I did was make them mad. That's Barrett Bryant from 1971. I mean, he had his bags packed. He was ready to go. Who so knows those, what would have happened? Those six national championships could have been in Arkansas. Maybe. maybe you never, no. Hey, you never know. Speaking of Fordyce. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is probably the most popular clip uh, <laughs> on social media that, that we, well, it's definitely had the most hits. Right. And this is the famous incident in 1976 in Fordyce with Keith Richards and Ron Woods from the Rolling Stones. So what happened here was that the Stones played a show in Memphis on uh, 4th of July in 1976, and their next show was the day before, or two days later in Dallas. So instead of taking the plane, they decided to rent a car, Keith Richards and Ron Wood, and drive to Dallas. And they were interested in seeing where the blues had come from. Right. And so they were going to go through rural uh, south, mainly, though, Arkansas, if you're talking Memphis to to Dallas. Um, Well, they didn't quite make it through Fordyce and were arrested um, for drugs, shocker. And uh, they were released from the Fordyce jail kind of in the middle of the night. And uh, their attorney, an Arkansan that they called uh, Bill Carter. A legend in his own right. Yes, which I still want to do a show on him. But he was a friend of Jim Pitcock's, the news director. He called him and said, you need to get down here. So KTV had the only camera at Fordyce when the Stones were released this is a little bit of the sound from that, and then you'll hear the interview with Bill Carter, their Arkansas attorney, who ended up getting them out and then staying with them as, as their attorney for years. Tell us what happened. Uh, if I could, I would, but I just don't believe it. Jay, let me buy you. Hey, Ron, I'll buy that hat from the police observed the car uh, uh, swerving on on the road, and uh, Keith uh, advised me that when he was pulling out from a restaurant, he leaned over uh, to adjust the radio, and and the car swerved, and the police stopped stopped him as a result. Uh, the police have been very good to us here, and have treated the group uh, with respect and been very courteous to us. Uh, they were not placed in a jail cell. Uh, they were just detained in the office for a short period of time while the vehicle was searched. 
Is it a normal procedure for the Stones to drive between concerts, especially through a rural area? No, as a matter of fact, Keith Richards uh, had indicated yesterday in Memphis that he'd never been in the state of Arkansas on all of his tours of the United States and that he wanted to drive from Memphis to uh, Dallas to uh, sightsee and see uh, the state of Arkansas. All right, let's stick with music. Okay, um, I had a great opportunity at KTV to interview B.B. King. Uh, he had come to the what was the Riverfront Amphitheater. I believe it's the first security amphitheater now, but it's right down on the river, and he was doing a show. And the legislature that day had just passed a proclamation making the town of Twist, Arkansas, a historical landmark. Why Twist, Arkansas? Well, B.B. King was there back in the 40s. He used to run that circuit uh, in the Delta, Mm -hmm. and Arkansas had several juke joints, and one was in Twist, Arkansas, which was really just a bend in the road. But that's where he named his famous guitar Lucille, and he told me the story of how it happened. That night, everything was going along swell, and two guys started fighting. And one knocked the other one over on this container. When they did, it was it spilled on the floor. It was already burning. So when it spilled on the floor, it looked like a river of fire. And everybody started running for the front door, including B.B. King. See, during those days, the little nightclub, guys would sneak in the back if you didn't have them nailed up, so they nailed it up. And the only way we'd get out was through the front door. But when I got on the outside, then I realized I'd left my guitar. And I went back for it. And when I did, the building was burning rapidly, and it started to collapse around me. I almost lost my life trying to save my guitar. But the next morning, we found that these two guys that was fighting was fighting about a lady. I never did meet the lady, but I learned that the lady's name was Lucille. So I named a guitar Lucille to remind me never to do a thing like that again. And that's when it started, 1949. These archives from KETV exist online. It's not all of them have been digitized yet, right. but as they are digitized, you can see them at the Prior Center, but we take advantage of them on this segment every Monday. And this, this didn't happen without some support. No, Barbara Tyson and Tyson Foods Foundation gave us a, an amazing gift that's allowing us to digitize. We have almost everything digitized. Now we're working on the, the massive plan to have it on the website and searchable. Mm. Um, it's, it's a lot easier to digitize it than it is to be able to find it once it's digitized. So we're working on that. This is probably one of the largest uh, archives uh, of any local station in the country. And uh, fortunately, KATV had the foresight the foresight to do that, and that was Jim Pitcock. And, and we go through those archives every Monday. We've done a piece, you won't be surprised if you're new to the show, about Johnny Cash. Yes, Johnny, uh, there's a lot in the archives about Johnny Cash. Uh, he was always really good about returning to Arkansas for events mm-hmm. and to see fans. This um, was very special. Um, 
that in 1989 um, he came to Fayetteville. And you were there. Why don't you pick this up? All right. So it's 1989. Fayetteville used to have, I can't remember the exact name, but it was something like the Mid-South Conference of um, Drug and Addiction Educators, something like that. And so you would have people who worked with those battling addiction uh, come together, best practices, you know, it was a conference. It was a convention. And it would happen at downtown in Fayetteville at what was then called the Fayetteville Hilton, now Mm -hmm. called The Graduate. And there would always be a sort of keynote speaker, B.J. Thomas one year, um, uh, Sid Caesar, hmm. Suzanne Summers, but in 1989, it was Johnny Cash. I happened to be the news director at Kix 104, and I got the press release that he was going to be there, and he was going to give the talk. Tim Hamilton from KATV came to shoot it. Everybody else who had done this had done sort of a talk and then a Q&A. Johnny was far more intimate. He'd do some songs. He'd say, y'all got any questions? And it was just this really intimate and and incredibly honest discussion about his battle with substance abuse. I found myself in jail for the seventh time. And I know it was seven times because recently I was reminded I went to work at the Hilton Hotel in Las Vegas. And to work in Nevada, you have to fill out an application form for employment in Nevada, no matter who you are. I don't care if you're... Frank Sinatra, whoever, you got to fill out this, this form. And, and it says at the bottom, have you ever been arrested? Where and what for? Well, there were only five spaces to fill out those. <laughs> I had to turn it over and put two more on the back because I started remembering there were seven times that I had been in jail. And all of them were one day or one night, you know, and for the same time, same, same thing, rowdy and dangerous. I was about to kill somebody or myself the way I was driving are the way I was acting. One of the things that he did, which is amazing, is he just was sitting there with his guitar, and he did uh, a version of one of his most famous songs was uh, Man in Black. All right, so this is good. We're going to hear it from the Fayetteville Hilton, 1989, late mid to late summer 1989. Right. We'll, we'll close out with that. Randy Dixon was, is with the... Uh, David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. We do this every Monday. Most Mondays, it's one subject or one, one person or one yep. event. And we're going to get back to that next week? Maybe. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I found some more okay. great best of okay. things. So Are you going to let's make October talk about of, it. Okay. October might be the best of month. Anyway, Johnny Cash, thank you, Randy. Thank you. I'll see you next week. <clears throat> well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back You wonder why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone Well there's a reason for the things that I have on I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down Living in the hopeless hungry side of town I wear the black for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime But is there because he's a victim of the times I wear the black for the sick and the lonely old For the reckless ones whose bad trip left them cold And until we start to make a turn to make a few things right You'd never see me wear a suit of white Oh, I'd love to wear a rainbow every day 
and tell the world that everything's okay. But I'll try to carry off a little darkness on my back till things are brighter. I'm the man in black. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callens. I'm Matthew Moore. It's Membership Appreciation Week. And we appreciate you and thousands like you who give money to KO to make sure we can continue to bring you programming. That's right. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. We spent a lot of time last week and the week before talking about uh, raising money, and now we want to take an opportunity to thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your continued contribution and making it possible for us to bring you things like Ozarks at Large, the Prior Center Archives, uh, all of the things that you depend on and rely on from us here at KUAF. So thank you for that. And one way we want to do that throughout this week is we're going to take a little bit of time throughout Ozarks at Large to give away some free stuff. Uh, Today's winner comes from uh, someone who is randomly subscribed to our email newsletter list. So we've got about 8,000 people so far who are subscribed to either Ozarks at Large, uh, the KUAF weekly newsletter, the music newsletter. Uh, You can... Be added to this list whenever you want at KUAF.com slash newsletters. And the winner today is Deborah O'Donnell. Deborah is from Eureka Springs. She's been subscribing to the weekly newsletter, and she's been a supporter of KUAF since 2011 and a sustaining member since 2014. Thank you so much, Deborah. And we're going to conclude Membership Appreciation Week Friday night with a party from 6 to 8 at Black Apple on Emma Avenue in downtown Springdale. We'll have a trivia question for more um, prizes then. One of the categories will be... 1973. Mm-hmm. KUAS 50th anniversary is this year, so we started in 1973. Here is a sneak preview of the question and answer, one of them that we'll be asking. May 14th, 1973, Skylab launched into Earth orbit. In what year did an abandoned Skylab crash back on Earth? No idea. You have no idea what Skylab was, That's do you? Right. All right. It was 1979. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. rock guitarist Luther Allison was the 14th of 15 children born in Arkansas August 17, 1939. Some references say Mayflower, some Widener, one even Forest City. The Allison family was musical. Luther sang and played in church, and he learned guitar at an early age, but he wasn't that taken with music. Luther liked baseball. His family moved to Chicago when Allison was 11. His mother was religious and often sang gospel songs at home. Five of his brothers formed a gospel group called the Southern Travelers, while another brother played in Freddie King's band. Allison still wasn't that interested in music, but quit high school to learn how to cobble shoes. In Chicago, Allison had become friends with Muddy Waters' son, and the two were often found at band rehearsals and at home. Teenage Allison met blues men like Muddy Waters and other displaced Delta musicians like Howlin' Wolf, and Allison promptly found his interest in music, getting help from his brother, Ollie. Soon after, in 1957, Luther Allison formed the Four Jivers with another brother, Grant. 
1959, when Freddie King left Illinois to tour nationally, Allison took over King's band. Through the 1960s, Luther Allison played in his own group and played with the blues legends. So many people like to find out about me. I got to try to tell you, baby, what it means to me, cause I want to know. I want to know why you dig the blues. Cause I ain't got nothing to lose. In 1969, Luther Allison recorded his first album called Love Me Mama on the small local Delmark label. It became the label's top seller. Allison's performances at the Ann Arbor Blues Festivals beginning that same year helped broaden his reputation. Soon, Luther Allison was on the road, playing clubs and festivals across the country. In 1972, Allison's quick rise continued when he signed with Motown. As the famous record label's sole blues artist, Allison would have attracted attention even without his burning fusion of blues, soul and rock guitar, and sweaty vocals. Allison toured Japan and Europe, and being especially well-received in Europe, he eventually relocated to Paris, France in 1984. Allison continued to play Europe, but would return occasionally to the States for festivals and shows. Luther Allison's LP Soul Fixin' Man in 1994 marked his first American recordings in almost two decades and also featured West Memphis native Wayne Jackson on trumpet. And it seemed America was glad to have him back in form. The mid-1990s saw Luther Allison being treated as a long-lost elder statesman of the blues, popular recording artist, winner of awards, festival headliner. But in July 1997, barely into his late 50s, Allison was diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer after he collapsed on stage in Virginia. On August 12th, a few days shy of his birthday, Allison died in a Madison, Wisconsin hospital. Luther's guitarist son Bernard, born in 1965, continues to carry on the Allison family musical tradition. His U.S. debut was issued a few months after his father's death. Here in its entirety is Luther Allison with an unissued track from his 1969 debut album called Love Me Mama with the song Walkin' From Door to Door. You got me walking from door to door Oh, you got me walking You got me walking from door to door 
tell you that I'd leave, I just don't know. Allison of Widener and Mayflower, Arkansas with Walking From Door to Door, an unissued song from his 1969 album debut. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old Statehouse Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a growing and changing city means growing and changing parks. So when you have a park that's old like this, uh, you know, as you go along, you're sometimes you get to a point where you need to do another master plan because things change, um, you know, society changes. An updated master plan for Walker Park in Fayetteville. We'll take you there tomorrow on Ozarks at Large. And Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Jack Travis, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Our theme, written and performed by Daryl Shaw on his most recent solo album titled Still Here. Matthew produced today's program in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. If you ever miss a story or an episode of Ozarks at Large, you can head to our website, ozarksatlarge.com. You'll find individual stories there, a place to sign up for the daily newsletter. All of that is available at ozarksatlarge.com. What did you say to me after I gave the trivia question? Oh, I said I had no idea what that thing was. Skylab. What is Skylab? It was the first space station. Carmelita's Modern Mexican Cuisine is located at 7022 West Sunset Avenue in Springdale, serving authentic Northern Mexican and Southern Californian-style lunch from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. and Modern Mexican dinner 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Friday. More information at carmelitasnwa.com. The Momentary in downtown Bentonville invites guests to discover the region's new home for art, food, and music. From immersive performances and exhibitions to live concerts, unique food and drinks, and more, there's always something new to experience at Northwest Arkansas's Creative Hub. Details at themomentary.org.